It's the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America. The National Security Hour exposes the wolves in sheep's clothing and their nefarious plots to undermine and destroy U.S. national security. Welcome to the National Security Hour on America Outlaw Talk Radio Network on iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Lieutenant Colonel Sargis Singeri, U.S. Army retired, the host of uh, Sargis Singeri's new paradigms, and also the CEO of the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement. Here at the National Security Hour, you are going to meet military and intelligence experts, to hear the voices of freedom, and also the out loud truth. America Out Loud Talk Radio plays on the iHeartRadio network. You can also listen on the media players from any web browser anywhere in the world. We have the best-in-class apps available on Apple, Android, and Alexa, where we stream 24-7. And now you can also hear them on the podcast on those same apps. My wonderful guest today for a discussion before the uh, Asian New Year is Jennifer Zhang is a senior advisory board member serving as a for the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement, serving as a director of the China Governmental and Societal Affairs. Jennifer is a Chinese expert and a former researcher at the Development Research Center of the State Council of the People's Republic of China, the highest level governmental policy research and consultant body. Jennifer, it is good to have you here, especially in an advance of uh, a happy new year. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me again. Uh, Jennifer, there's a lot that has happened with uh, specifically China. I do want to initially maybe start off looking at uh, what was the fallout that you saw from the uh, elections in Taiwan uh, because from what we know from the U.S., it's really has gone against what mainland China wanted to see as far as the policies and changes in Taiwan. Yes, I think uh, the CCP is very disappointed about about the uh, the result uh, because they like Mr. William Lai or Lai Qingde was elected, and this is a very uh, unprecedented that uh, the same party is get a third term. Before that, it's on maximum, you know, two terms. And uh, and uh, Mr. William Lai, of course, is more pro uh, democracy. His main message is fighting the CCP with democracy, and he's uh, more pro democracy, more pro freedom, and uh, more tough against the CCP. Of course, is this is the the last uh, thing the CCP wants before the CCP uh, before the election. The CCP, I think, they did a lot of influence uh, operation in Taiwan, uh, like trying to push another two parties to, to join hands to fight against the democratic progressive party but I think uh, so far they failed but also of course they didn't fail completely because you know the ruling party didn't win the uh, legislative council so now uh, the head of the legislative council is 
uh, is uh, Mr. Uh, Han Guoyu, which was very much pro the CCP. So I think so in the in the years coming, there are still a lot of fighting going on. And uh, of course, the CCP is based, I think, for 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 the CCP, it's the best scenario is to take Taiwan without having to uh, having fight. So it will uh, continue to work on its so-called influence operation inside Taiwan or to get Taiwanese people to surrender um, as long as they put up some kind of pressure. So that's their best scenario. Uh, but so far, I think they were, of course, very unhappy about the election result. With, with that said, um, I do know, as you mentioned, that uh, the election did not go the way that mainland China wanted, but still they do have effects with their person who's much more apt to align possibly with the Chinese Communist Party in the legislator side of the house. Yes. How does that happen? Because from us on the U.S. side, uh, the legislator really is the one that makes the laws and controls everything. The president executes it. What is the difference between how we approach it and how the Taiwanese and their structure are going to be able to withstand China's influence through their person who is in the legislator now? I think there is no major difference. Uh, but in Taiwan, it seems to me the uh, president uh, has a lot of maybe rule in terms of, uh, you know, everyday uh, operation of this country. Of course, the, if if there is any major thing, you, you everything you have to go through the legislation. Uh, so, so that will be going to be a battle, but the ruling party still uh, has a, a certain, I think, they have to, the difference is not much. They only they didn't have the majority. They, if I remember correct, they have fifty two seats, and the opposition party, the the Kuomintang, has uh, fifty four. Now there's a third party uh, coming there, have eight seats. So that that the critical minority in, in there. So the CCP initially want to have Kuomintang working to with the third party, but somehow that didn't work out. Uh, so, so yes, uh, I think for major legislations, everything you want to do, you have to <clears throat> go through the, the Congress or the legislative body. But uh, as the current, a lot of executive uh, operation and a lot of national security policy and how to implement uh, the current uh, or the, the, the current direction to go. I think the president does have a lot of control over that. So that is, of course, the CCP wants to, you know, to influence the Taiwan's election. Uh, I my question from the U.S. side would be with uh, um, the CCP and the PLA, the People's Liberation Army, uh, flying sort not sorties, I guess, flying um, aircrafts close to uh, um, Taiwan, really trying to influence them in that capacity with their multi might. If you look at it, Taiwan's opposition uh, uh, KMT party 
candidate garnered 33.49% of the vote and Taiwan's People Party TPP candidate received 26.45%. Uh, now, more than 14 million people took part. But uh, with that said, that means that the voter turnout only came out just over 71%. So why didn't the other 25% vote if it was uh, uh, that much of a critical position that Taiwan is sitting in? Is that give you an indication that there's something there that's not being addressed by either of the parties? I I think that is where the CCP is, I, can, I think, is very good at, is to create chaos and division into the society. I think they are doing this not only to Taiwan, but also to America as well. There was a very famous case in Taiwan this time, a former CCP, you know, CCP's reporter. He once worked for the China Central TV. That's the CCP's mouthpiece. His name is Wang Zhian. He somehow claimed he was persecuted by the CCP, so he went to Japan and uh, run his own YouTube channel and Twitter account. And he somehow, in a very short period of time, he attracted millions of followers. Anyway, he went to Taiwan to cover the election from there, and he he went on a talk show. And in that talk show, he who not only he not only attacked Taiwan's election, Taiwan's democracy, but attacked uh, a politician who is disabled with a very improper way. He imitate the move or the, the way how the disabled politician actually he, he was a lawyer. He was a very respected lawyer, were very capable. He got a I think a law degree in Harvard University here. But somehow he attacked him. And so as a whole, Taiwan society was very, very angered because, you know, in Western culture, I think Taiwan is very much uh, pro-Western uh, values. It is very inappropriate to attack a disabled person just because he is disabled, not because of anything else. So anyway, he's... His his a statement in that talk show caused a lot of controversy. So, and then the, the Taiwanese Immigration Party found out he actually was uh, he still holds a Chinese passport, right? He's come from mainland China, so PLC uh, China. Uh, in theory, he went into Taiwan on a tourist visa, so. Uh, according to Taiwanese immigration and labor law, for anyone on a Chinese passport coming into Taiwan with a tourist visa, you don't have a right to work, you don't have a right to comment on, on political stuff, because Taiwan, I think, is still regard in theory, the CCP as an enemy country. So you can't have any politically related events and you can't go to a talk show, but he violated all these uh, all these regulations or laws. So his his passport because but if he didn't say that on that talk show, maybe people didn't notice he was there. But because his very high profile statements 
And because some of the media in Taiwan actually gave him an audience, gave him a platform to attack Taiwan's democracy. So he, but of, of course, he, the Taiwanese government revoked his passport and banned him from entering Taiwan for five years. And after he returned to Japan, instead of apologizing for his improper uh, behavior and statement, he initiated a lot of controversy in the, on the internet. So his main uh, narrative is, I was persecuted by the CCP. Now I'm, I'm persecuted by the Taiwanese government as well. So Taiwanese government is this band and that band. And uh, there is no difference between Taiwanese government and the Chinese government. And so everybody in the world uh, is as banned as the CCP or, 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 or could be worse. So there's no, so he is successfully attracted a lot of audience and he successfully, because, you know, in any country, the major two parties like here, like, like the, anybody who is uh, a de Democrat and anybody who's a Republican, they have huge, huge difference in their public views. So it's the same thing in Taiwan. So he successfully incited, the, the, or, or you can say amplified, the, the political uh, dividends and, uh, and disagreement in Taiwan. And he successfully uh, attract more uh, attention. And now he is suing Taiwan government for persecuting him. And he successfully established a narrative that Taiwan's democracy is fake, Taiwan's government is persecuting him, and Taiwan is no better uh, than, than Chinese or than, than the CCP. So, they, so I think this is very dangerous. That's why you, 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 uh, I think it's very related to the question you ask. Because the CCP for so many years, they've invested so much in, in Taiwanese, in control the media, control the uh, social media, and they use TikTok sometimes even to spread fake, false information against anyone they don't like. So they, they, they successfully, I think, turned a lot of people around and regard, uh, you know, and the ridiculous Taiwan and, and the ridiculous democracy. And it seems like democracy is not as uh, that good because people are always fight. And now I'm persecuted by the Taiwanese government as well. The CCP doesn't allow me to talk. And now Taiwanese uh, government also doesn't allow me to talk. So what's the difference? All the government, all the parties in the inner world is as bad as the CCP. So people after people accepting his argument they wouldn't think about overthrow the ccp because no point no definitely and um you know i was looking at uh, the uh, exit polls that they take um and a survey that has been done going back to 1995 and initially if you looked at where the taiwanese identified themselves 10% identify themselves as just pure Chinese. And then uh, you had um, um, somewhere around uh, um, 20% that said we're Taiwanese, 
So it was close. It was a 10% delta difference there. And then uh, if you asked how many people identified themselves as both Taiwanese and Chinese, that was uh, north of 40%. So what happens now when we looked at the 2020 election and now the current election, um, as far as how many people identify themselves as Chinese, that absolutely has fallen. Um, actually, I should say it wasn't at 10%, it was at, at uh, 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 somewhere below 30%. It's fallen to almost uh, uh, maybe a fraction, less than a, even uh, 3% who identify themselves as Chinese. The Taiwanese has risen from 20% in 1995 all the way up to almost uh, reaching uh, somewhere between 65% in Taiwan who recognize themselves as Taiwanese. And then when you talk about who recognizes themselves as both Taiwanese and Chinese, uh, where it used to be at 45%, that has dropped also somewhere around 30%. So the divide between who sees themselves as Chinese and Taiwanese is completely being shattered. You're looking at a delta, a difference between almost uh, only... 3% of people living in Taiwan recognize themselves as Chinese to where uh, more than 60% plus recognize themselves as Taiwanese. And the ones who recognize themselves as both has really dropped. Uh, and uh, um, so when we come back in the second segment, I want you to give us a little bit of your understanding of what that graph might say to us. And if there's something that we're missing, um, here in the United States as to how that can potentially play into a possible wider regional war if that ever happens there. I do want to remind our audiences that all my shows go to podcasts typically one or two days after the broadcast is heard on talk radio. You can also hear them on Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, and iHeart Podcasts, and many more. Be sure you're subscribed and rate the show on Apple Podcasts for me. Who's got time for a nasal invasion messing up your lifestyle? Crush those nasties before they become a problem. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order with the coupon code OUTLOUD, you'll receive 20% off the entire purchase. Go to americaoutloud.shop. That's americaoutloud.shop and use coupon code OUTLOUD. Use Cofix RX because it works. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Today's high-stress, on-the-go lifestyle makes it hard to stay heart-healthy. Lifestyle changes like exercise and diet are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support three aspects of heart health. Cholesterol, blood pressure, and triglycerides with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients. You would need to take 13 pills to get the same amount of nutrients in each gel pack. And these great-tasting gels come in a small packet. Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. Welcome back to the National Security Hour on the America Outlaw Talk Radio Network on iHeartRadio, where you hear the voices of freedom and the outlaw truth. 
Again, I'm your host, Lieutenant Colonel Sargison Gary, U.S. Army retired, and this is our second segment of our discussion with Jennifer Zhang, who is the Senior Advisory Board Member on the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement and serves as the Director of the China Governmental and Societal Affairs. Jennifer, uh, in the past uh, two-plus decades, has worked on the uh, media industry as a journalist, editor, news producer, news director, columnist, and TV show host. She currently hosts also her website at uh, jenniferzhangblog.com and her video channel, Inconvenient Truths by Jennifer Zhang, which aims at uh, offering authentic, uh, fastest, uncensored, firsthand information from inside China, as well as unique, in-depth analysis and insight about China's current affairs and politics. In the first segment, uh, for listeners that you heard, Jennifer described how Chinese subtly try to basically by uh, attacking uh, their own country, uh, at the same time attacking Taiwan's governmental structure, uh, basically to reduce them and equalize them, uh, to um, ensure that the people lose uh, trust in the democratic values and uh, constantly in the back of their mind say that, well, there's really no difference between what happens on mainland China and how Taiwan operates. And uh, I did offer Jennifer in the last segment when I was looking at the uh, graphics uh, as to uh, the um, initial surveys that came out going back since 1995 elections and uh, this most current election this year. And it showed that the difference between who identifies themselves as Chinese and Taiwanese has completely been shattered. More people, of course, recognize themselves as being Taiwanese than Chinese, but the ones that recognize themselves to be both is somewhere in the middle. Uh, is that trying to be used to create, a, uh, as an example, an independent political party that views itself to be both Taiwanese and Chinese, equalizing, again, on behalf of the Chinese information operations, or is there something that we're missing here? Um, I think that the, the geographic change you just mentioned is very important, and of course, it's very natural. Here, I think we are we are the question you raised. We're going to um, touch. I, I think touches a very sensitive and a very controversial issue, like. Uh, both in Taiwan and among Chinese, not only Chinese people in China, but overseas Chinese population is which direction or which uh, direction China or Taiwan will go, whether we still try to unite somehow or, or just let Taiwan be an independent country. I, I think in theory, Taiwan is still the Republic of China. It is a legit uh, government or regime established in China in 1911, actually, and it got recognized by the previous Qin, the emperor of Qin dynasty. So it's a legit government. And in theory, 
the Chinese Communist Party, the Republic of the People's Republic of China, is a illegal government. Government China. I think the CCP always accuse others of being a separatist, trying to separate, like they accuse Xinjiang, uh, uh, like Uyghurs. They, they accuse Hong Kong people. They accuse. Uh, uh, Tibetan people trying to be separate list. Actually, the CCP itself is a separate list because it established a Soviet Union regime inside the legit Republic of China. You know, in 1920s, right? And it it expanded its basic, it's ex- expanded its power while the then national party or Kuomintang was fighting against Japanese. And then through, you know, a civil war, they they drove uh, Kuomintang to Taiwan. So because of at that time, a lot of people like Kuomintang, Taiwanese people call them uh, the, the, the external provincial thing. So they came from mainland China to Taiwan. So this a lot of that generation still had had the dream of taking back China, like China wants to take take Taiwan now. They still think China belongs to to their generation, and the CCP is illegal. So so. I think until I, I do tend to agree with them, uh, given yeah. uh, the one China policy. But our one China policy, from my perspective, politically, yeah. is that yes, the CCP is nothing more than an illegal uh, Chinese. You know, the Chinese Communist yeah. Party, illegal party, that has really taken over China and has uh, uh, wrecked it. Uh, I don't want you to lose your thought there, but I do want to make this one recommendation as you're uh, talking about it, uh, Jenna, and. You know, all this is still tied to politics, right? And political groups have to execute what the people's wants and desires and the Taiwanese people's perspectives are, especially the new generation. But the uh, Democratic Progressive Party, the DPP, uh, which is, for our listeners, a Taiwanese nationalist and center to center left, some would say, political party in Taiwan, has been really, for the past uh, eight years, uh, um, in in a lead. Uh, so as much as I might have been uncomfortable for China, uh, it hasn't led to war. Why were we expecting the possibility of that um, if the some experts are saying that if uh, Chinese uh, handpicked leaders do not win this time, that it may lead to a war as the, uh, where in the past eight years it did not? Is it an issue of where we are in time with what is happening in the U.S. or what is happening in Taiwan, or is there some other factors that may lead and tie the CCP's hands to have to react much more stronger now than they had in the past? Uh, As far as I am concerned, I I think this is more of a a Chinese, uh, the CCP's internal issue. Of course, they've been talking about taking Taiwan for decades since day one of their establishment. But uh, as you said, it never happened. Uh, I think they tried once in the 1950. I, I think that's just after they drove out uh, Kuomintang, but they failed in miserably. Since then, they never 
really tried. But this time, I think uh, uh, things are a little bit different as one, Xi Jinping, uh, this is according to internal uh, information, Xi Jinping was able to gain his third term because he promised the party that he would take back Taiwan um, after he he was given his third term. So this he imposed upon himself the task of taking Taiwan back. And also it would soon be the 100 years of the establishment of the PPLA. So it seems like before they have a goal of before the 100th anniversary of, of the PLA, they would want to do something. Oh, and the 100th anniversary of the PRC, they wanted to do something. And another issue is they do think uh, the 2020 is a very important window, especially the U.S. is going to have an election and uh, they are expecting or they are trying to create chaos and division after the election result, uh, you know, comes out. No matter whether Trump, Trump or Biden is elected, they expect there could be a huge chaos. And that is another very important time window. And if they lose this time window, then they will have to wait maybe for many, many years. And another important factor is the contrast uh, of their, their military strength is, you know, is, is getting bigger. If they wait longer, it means they, they will be more behind the U.S. military power. They have built up military strength for many years and uh, maybe to uh, they, they were trying to catch up a lot, but from a certain point down, because of the economy, they cannot pick up, build up more or stronger military. But the US is still developing, so if they wait longer, the difference will be huge, it will be bigger. So that's another argument. But for me, I, I always believe. If the CCP's internal situation go, uh, is going to deteriorate more, waging a war against Taiwan, or maybe not against Taiwan, against other, or having some uh, military or some just armed confrontation with neighboring countries in the South China Sea, like I think they are creating a lot, a lot of more trouble with the Philippines, with Malaysia, uh, with Vietnam. So I think it will use war as an excuse to bring a war of a state of war to China, so they can declare national emergency in this time in this way. They can try to dodge a lot of crises. They cannot dodge otherwise. Look, uh, um, I'm I'm a firm believer uh, that uh, as much as their military is growing, as much as their capability, especially at the seas, is growing, they're right now from a multi perspective, from a U.S. multi perspective, just by tonnage, 
of what we have from the U.S. side and how much water we displace, uh, they're not even close. And um, our submarines and our capabilities would uh, absolutely destroy their Navy. I truly believe that. And one of the other factors, problems that they're going to run into is just how the modern battlefield is uh, changing. Um, if you've noticed, uh, what is being used between the Ukraine and the Ukraine and uh, Russia war is drones. What it was, be, what is being used by the Iranians attacking U.S. targets or U.S. killing Iranian operatives is drones. Uh, what was used to even swarm and attack um, internal to Israel on October seventh was a uh, some uh, they used you know people to swarm the uh, the uh, uh, basically uh, the border fences, but they also used. Uh, other means, and they also use drones. What is Israel using to go after uh, Hamas operatives in Gaza? Drones. Um, the, the capacity of I'm going to build a big, huge uh, uh, carrier, and a carrier is nothing more than a floating city, and I'm going to put it close to Taiwan, where I know that Taiwanese military has the capability to basically destroy my uh uh, ship and take that, uh, you know, floating uh, city and sink it. Um, I could easily do the same thing with putting drones, unmanned drones, smaller drones, on a piece of terrain and achieve the same, uh, you know, objective. Um, so, from my perspective of what I look at, I think we're at a cold war, but that cold war is being fought in AI advances and also at the same time, uh, cybersecurity. Um, and the capacity and our capacity will to strike them uh, in a way that we could render, net, render their ability to even run their own operations internally, um, uh, basically to the ground. Is there anything you're hearing from the military side of the house inside of China, the PLA, that may show some fractures in the approach that Xi is trying to take when it comes to how he thinks he's going to be able to affect Taiwan. Is he, has he learned lessons from what is happening to Putin? Because I know that recently he met with Putin and, uh, you know, they stated that they weathered many uh, storms and Xi and Putin have what now uh, ties are going to be deeper in this uh, Lunar New Year that's coming up on Sunday, again, the Year of the Dragon. Have you seen anything from the military side that shows there might be some cracks in this so-called armor that G is trying to show to the rest of the world? Um, I think there's very little information about how the military is really think because actually in China, it's very different from other countries. Like other countries, our army, like in the US, is the army of the country. No matter who, which party is in power, they, 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 the army is loyal to America, to the United States of America. It's not loyal to the Democratic Party or Republican Party. But in China, they always say, the party, the army follows the party. So, so, so in in a sense, 
the military themselves are not supposed to have your own ideas of how to fight a war. You listen to the party's direction. So that's why we saw we saw huge uh, military purge inside the, the rocket um, army uh, force in last year, uh, because uh, one of the reasons, of course, is could be corruption. Another reason is the army has different idea of invading Taiwan or of how to battle the war, or they because they are reluctant to battle the war because they they see no chance to win the war, so they are reluctant. That's why they got purged. Well, I mean that uh, that goes to show that you know the military leaders do know that uh, if they do go to war, they're gonna die. And one thing I know in our psyop campaign that we've been pushing was because when China developed their one-child policy, we basically been putting it out to them that if we kill you on the battlefield, both branches of your tree, ancestral trees, are dead, because once you're gone, you have basically. We've been able to sever both trees from your mother and you, and we have been able to kill your lines of ancestors. Now, I don't know how it's being received by the uh, uh, Chinese military personnel, but at least that's been used by us to drive the point to them. I do want to make sure our audience know that uh, be sure to make AmericaOutloud.com your daily stop for the uh, latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, the videos, so that we can help secure America's future. You can find out more about my show and get all the latest podcasts if you go to the menu navigation bar at AmericaOutloud.com under our show and or schedule you will be in the know jennifer we're going to come back with the final segment i do want to look at uh, the economic effects on china and the january numbers that came out showing how inflation is affecting it we'll take a short break for now Well, the year 2024 must be the year of the Patriot, and AmericaOutloud.news will equip you with all the information you need to give new meaning to the words Patriot Act, for our actions always ultimately define our words. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system 
that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Welcome back to the uh, final segment of the National Security Hour on the uh, American Outlaw Talk Radio on iHeartRadio. I'm your host again, Lieutenant Colonel Sargis Singiri, CEO of the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement. And I am uh, lucky and have been blessed uh, on NECSC to have uh, Jennifer Zhang uh, as a senior advisor within our board members, uh, serving as a director of China's Governmental and Societal Affairs. Uh, for those who do not know about Jen's uh, work, Jennifer was uh, born and grew up in China. She escaped to Australia in 2001 after being arrested four times and tortured in Beijing female labor camp for one year for practicing Falun Gong. Her uh, best-selling memoirs, Witnessing History, One Woman's Fight for Freedom, and Falun Gong was published in English and Chinese. And in 2010, Jennifer's story was turned into an award-winning documentary, Free China, The Courage to Believe. As a result, Jennifer moved to the United States in 2011, obtained a EB-1 visa, and uh, we have been lucky to be able to have her here now uh, to be on our board. Uh, Jennifer, I did want to look at uh, China specifically because everything we talk about uh, what elections are going to take place, the results in Taiwan, election interference, information operations, the expansion of the Chinese military is all tied to eventually do they have the money and capacity. I always say it's very hard to even feed uh, in my own family uh, four kids on a daily basis. Imagine trying to feed billions of people three meals a day and keep them satisfied. Um, and we do know that the numbers that came out uh, in January were not uh, positive for China, and the uh, Wuhan does not seem like it's doing well. Uh, what is data that you're seeing, and what do you think is coming out of China uh, that may result possibly for the Chinese to do nothing more than basically, as we would say in the U.S., wag the dog and try to go to war just to be able to protect the party, given the fact that it seems that they have completely failed uh, to be able to do anything with their economy internally? Um, actually, I recently <clears throat> did several shows about China's economy. So some, are the, some of the most basic, uh, most important facts is one, their GDP did not grow by 5.2% as claimed by the government. If we calculate with the expenditure method, it is a minus 4.9% decline. Or if you convert it into US dollars because the, the, the Chinese yuan, the maybe is declining. So it even the drop was even uh, more than 9% drop from the previous year. So the, the so the first fact is their GDP was not growing, it declined. 
by either nearly 5% or more than 9%, uh, depending on which, you know, uh, currency you you uh, calculate with. And the number two uh, important uh, fact is the local government debt is going to explode this year because 10 years ago they started to issue the so-called local government debt or the city urban investment fund. And then and with the accumulation of all these years, so our economics did a very careful and calculate calculation about when those dates were mature and how much the date will be. So, so in any sense, in this year, the local government date will explode. So that's that's a very important issue and now we've already seen a lot of you know signs like some of the local government can't pay wages to their local officials some bus uh, companies have stopped running because they haven't paid their drivers for for months so so some now some some like even hospitals uh, have have not paid their employee for eight months so the, the local government government will be, I think, be going into a bankruptcy state very soon. And the real estate bubble has already bursted. Everybody knew that. And another huge problem is the unemployment problem. So there could be over a hundred million people got unemployed in this year. And uh, today I just saw another news, like last year alone, over 230,000 people in China killed themselves only because they can't uh, pay, pay their debts. So that number is close to the so-called Nanking, Nanjing Massacre. That the CCP always talk about Nanjing Massacre, oh, this Japanese killed so many people, so many Chinese. So last year, so the, the people who killed themselves because they couldn't afford to pay their debts is near the, the number of Nanjing Massacre. So that's, I think, China's economy is far worse than anybody outside China is aware of. So that is a very, very serious issue. And in, in just uh, several days, everybody saw the Chinese uh, stock market. It's, they, they, it is called epic drop. So, so the economy is doing very, very bad. Yes, how, how the China, Chinese government will have the power to, to wage a war is, is another question. Yeah, and look, uh, I mean the uh, the uh, the market uh, launched in China, the stock market uh, uh, kind of shows that systematic collapse of investor confidence, and nobody's really going there to invest right now. Um, uh, if you look at where Europe is, Europe's pretty much in a uh, uh, inflation and a de uh, depression, basically. Uh, has hit him. Some would argue no on a political basis, but you can see the numbers. China, nobody wants to go and invest there. And I think what COVID did, it showed the inability, if you're tied to the Chinese market, just to be able to move your items from China to uh, United States and the rest of the world was not uh, 
you know, productive. That's why you had after what ended up happening with the uh, uh, Wuhan virus, um, a lot of the folks started putting their uh, uh, factories and uh, systems in different locations, uh, especially even in Mexico and South America. And what's funny, when the Chinese went there to try to negotiate, they figured that, well, we'll walk in and we'll negotiate like we negotiate with the nations of Africa. And then they realized that the uh, union in uh, Mexico is much stronger than anywhere else. And they really couldn't uh, negotiate the way they thought that they would be in a position of leverage. So they're having a problem there. But uh, from the U.S. perspective, as much as we have a recession here, and it could be a global real recession, uh, the one positive we have is that the investors are neither leaving the market or, uh, in this case, selling uh, or uh, are buying more. Uh, they kind of, you know, hanging in. So we're actually in a better position, but the uh, uh, but the uh, drastic fluctuations are uh, are really different from those that were driven by the small issues and unexpected events in the past. Uh, as you're looking at it right now, uh, you know uh, there's a worry that uh, the reforms supposedly that were introduced in the uh, Chinese government when it comes to how the markets uh, work, really haven't taken shape. Is, is there something on the reform side for keeping their markets together? And I know I don't want to turn it into a technical discussion here, Jen. Um, is there something that uh, Xi introduced that just did not work because it wasn't going to work in the Chinese society? Or um, is there something we're missing here? Uh, I think recently another Chinese uh, economist raised a very interesting point that according to him, he believed the CCP purposefully uh, bring the China's economy down because according to him, uh, industrialized civilization never can go coexist with a dictatorship for more than a a generation or a decade. Uh, if you check the previous human history, like the Germany before Second World War, Soviet Union, Argentina, so so because the industrial civilization is the natural enemy of dictatorship. To maintain an industrialized civilization, you need to have a fair market. You you need to have transparency. They are all the enemy of. A dictatorship or totalitarian regime. So, so the CCP must have realized that if the economy keeps going and more people become rich, and then it it will it will naturally call for a more fair and transparent market, and that doesn't work together with dictatorship so they choose so one of one of it has to go one of them have to go so they choose to have the economy go to maintain their power so that's that's i think that's a very interesting theory but i think it is true because the communist ideology is totally wrong it's against like Mao Zedong said we want to fight with the heaven fight with the earth fight with the people so it's I think this whole 
uh, ideology is is wrong, so it's not going to work. The China developed, I think, experienced a very golden area of, of experience. is exactly because when they loosened the government control too, they joined the WTO. They actually steal a lot of technology and the investment from other countries. So with the help of the free world and the outside market, that's why they gain a decade of very fast growth. But it's not because the system of the CCP itself. So this is this the system and its ideology is not going to work no matter what. So the more uh, influence the, the government trying to exert, the more failure you will get. So that's why no matter how they tried, it, it's going to fail economically. That's what I think that's I think many people have already realized that bitterly. Once the CCP I think they had their illusion after they say their the the economy growth. They were once dreamed about surpass U.S. in no time, and a lot of Westerners also thought, or oh, maybe the China model is something we can learn from. They can, you know centralize all their strengths and do something big. Now I think everybody can see that theory, that system failed uh, miserably. So there's whether they want to succeed or they want to destroy the economy, I think the result will be the same because it failed. The system just simply doesn't work. No, it doesn't work, and uh, uh, and we've seen it. But that doesn't mean that dictators aren't going to try to shove it down people's throats uh, to keep their own viability. As you said uh, in our first segment, and you said, you know, CCP is not really looking, regardless of if it's going to be the current POTUS Biden or the previous POTUS Trump, who might be in office, that there probably has to have something happen for the CCP to be able to retain his own power internal to their own country, even if it means that it goes to war and maybe even lose that war. Uh, now, from my perspective, from my understanding, if you are now sitting and you are briefing U.S. decision makers, what would you say to them that they would have to do between now and when we have our election here and what should they be ready for after elections? I think they should be very well uh, aware of the fact that the CCPs were going to try to insert their influence and infiltration in America as much as possible because they have already set America as their number one and uh, you can say ultimate enemy. So they that's their uh, strategic goal for a long time. So as uh, so that's why they've been working so hard in all these decades. So we should have a very clear understanding that the CCP is this the U.S. first uh, and the most the most dangerous enemy, and uh, never ever underestimate the CCP's evil. Like we just realized that they are trying to info, 
uh, trying to put on some software in our infrastructure system. They are bring a lot of illegal, maybe soldiers, military stuff here in America, and they are uh, doing damage in our infrastructure system. And they have many people maybe hiding there. And when there is something needed, they can create great chaos and do great damage to undermine the the U.S. national political will to interfere with external affairs, like with Taiwan affairs, if once they want to do something with Taiwan. So the CCP is the most dangerous um, enemy of democracy, of the free world. And I think if I have, I have, uh, I can present something, I I think the U.S. actually can invest very little and do great damage to the CCP, which is to help the Chinese people to uh, bring down the CCP's great firewall and let the Chinese people get access to free information and let the Chinese people to stand up and to oversaw the CCP and to have democracy in China. And that is the uh, the most effective way and the, the best way for this U.S. to seek peace and freedom for ourselves and for Chinese people. Jennifer Wolf said um, the Chinese Communist Party has done more damage to China's reputation in history than any other outside enemy could have ever done. And they've killed more of their people and destroyed more of their culture. And unfortunately, if they continue and we do not uh, take out the teeth of the dragon, uh, then uh, it's going to affect our countries regardless globally. Uh, Jennifer, it was a pleasure having you here. I want to make sure our audiences again know that uh, uh, it is because of the guests like Jennifer being able to come to our show that we have an opportunity to inform you. Uh, I want to thank uh, our audiences for joining us on the mission. Uh, the National Security Hour is the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America with liberty and justice for all. 